You are listening to Something Rather Than Nothing. Creator and host, Ken Vellante. Editor and producer, Peter Bauer. Hey folks, um, I am here with uh, Sasha Stronach and uh, uh, author uh, reaching us from New Zealand. I'm not going to talk too much right off the bat. I want to I want to welcome you on, Sasha. It's great joy for to, ha- to have you on the Something Rather Than Nothing podcast. Um, yeah, no, it's it's lovely to be on. I've kind of been listening through the back episodes, and it is it's really good to kind of get deep on these things i often feel a little over my head when people talk about you know the philosophy of art because um, i i feel like a big dumb dumb um i i'm, I'm kind of just a metalhead kid done good but um I, i'll do my best and i'm, I'm this uh there's been a lot of metal shows on this um i veer I veer wildly between my interests, and I think some of the things with these questions is they humble everybody. So I think it's a great leveler, even for me. So, like, you know, like, what are we, what are we doing in this life, type of thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, all we can do is kind of just take take swings at it, right? Do our best. Um, yeah. Um, so, so let's talk so, about let's let's talk about let's talk about your work. Let's talk about the Dawn Hounds. Um, uh, audience, uh, Dawn Hounds is uh, a recently published uh, novel, uh, which I am uh, deep into. Um, truly unique work. Um, and uh, in, in in listening and reading a little bit about Sasha, there's you know the the the, the book and uh, pieces of it have been around for a while, but and uh, chatting about it. Sasha, uh, just learning a little bit just about how it's um, pre- preparation for introduction to an American audience or an American publisher where I'm located in Oregon and just how the different forms that it's take for you, uh, taken for you. So it's been around for years. So tell us how we now, how I got my copy of the Dawn Hounds in my hand now. So I self-published it in November 2019. Uh, And I got incredibly, incredibly lucky that one of the first three or four people to read it, like I think before my parents had read it, was Tamsin Muir. And I'm still not sure how that happened, but um, she went on to be a huge advocate for it. Uh, It won the 2020 Best New Zealand Science Fiction Fantasy Award, and that was at Worldcom, which was in New Zealand that year. Uh, And after that was the night of the 2020 US election. And you know how it looked like Trump was winning for like the first half of the night? Or sure, sure do remember that. The first that. half of the day. In the US, it would have been the day. In New Zealand, it was like we went drinking at like 7 p.m. and it was getting time to go to bed and Trump was winning. And I just, I don't drink a lot. Um, I actually lived in the Muslim world for a while and it annihilated my alcohol tolerance. But I got blackout drunk for the first time in my life that night and I woke up with an agent um, because it turns out that when I drink, I network, which <laughs> is, you know, I don't know what that says about me personally, but it's a very useful skill to have. Um, <laughs> and then, yeah, we sold it as part of a three book deal to Simon and Schuster. Uh, yeah, four months later, it would have been March, April, 2021. We closed the deal, um, after picking up an agent on election night basically. Um, 
and yeah, I, as I was saying to you before, when I self-published it, I was like, I want to sell this to Americans. And they're not going to get a lot of this, so I just watered it down. I stripped back um, a lot of the te reo Māori, um, a lot of the, the te kanga and te Māori, and a lot of the New Zealand slang. And then when I went to America, they're like, no, no, we want more of that. We want more of that. And I had this kind of fascinating experience where I think the typical experience of like, you know, signing with a big art, you know, the the musicians doing this kind of folky stuff on the street and then they sign with a big label and become this bland pop star. Yeah, um, yeah. And no management were like, no, 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 we want it to be weirder. We, we like, <laughs> like, like make it more itself. And I do think the, the version that came out last year is the version that is the most itself. Um, and it's, it's not just that. It's having some more editorial, like proper editorial oversight has been really, really good. It was a good book that won awards without an editor. Um, with an editor, I think it is really something special that I'm super proud of. Um, editing was interesting. I had a lot of back and forths with my editor about the specific New Zealand language that would not fly with American audiences. Um, one of the things you've noticed is like Sin, the character of Sin intentionally goes out of his way often to speak in a bafflingly Australian way. And mm -hmm. he is doing it to fuck with people. Like he's winding people up. He's, he's trying to be yeah. hard to understand. Um, and generally Sin just got like a pass in edits. But then there was this one moment where a cat is described as a moggy and we were going, do Americans know that word moggy? Uh, it kind of sounds like maybe a slur or something. <laughs> I was like, okay, okay. like Moggy was one of the real uh, knockdown drag out fights of the whole editing process. Um, <laughs> Just to make sure, almost like the um, like the sound of it as well. You know, even if it might not be related to another word, that it just sounds like you're saying something wrong as it translates that's, over. That's what I liked about it because it sounds like a nasty cat. I was yeah. like, I want this to sound like a nasty, dirty <laughs> alley cat. And, and there weren't a lot of elegant ways familiar with American English that I could think like, like Tomcat or alley cat, maybe. Yeah. yeah. But it didn't, they don't have the same punch um, to them. I think we got you the know, updated, the updated word here now for it. Um, yeah. Yeah. Almost certainly. That was, that was one of the fights I, I lost. Um, because in editing a work like this, you pick your battles. Um, <laughs> but I think they were very generous and, and very good. My editor, Amara, has been really, really lovely to work with. Um, yeah. The other big knockdown drag out fight, which I'm 99% sure I did win eventually, was there's a moment where Sen says easy as, which is a piece of news that you drop the end off somebody's. Oh, yeah, that's good as. Sweet as. Mm -hmm. Yeah, easy as. <laughs> And it got changed to easy as pie. And I went, no, 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 no. Cross it out, stick. Because <laughs> um, easy as pie tonally is folksy. Yeah, it's, it's kind it of is. Um, a, a little bit kind of like, oh, gosh darn it, sweet old man. That's yeah. easy as pie. And Sin is kind of a nasty piece of shit. <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> well, I, I love him. He ended up being one of my favorite characters in the book. But... Um, like he, he is meant to be a bit more of a kind of um, slightly rough around the edges kind of guy. Um, 
And then it went to copy and they changed it to easy as pie. And it, this has been stated for a reason. Okay, I'll cut it out. And then it went to proof and they changed it to easy as pie. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's why, by the way, there is the author's note at the start about New Zealand slang. I think that was the compromise that um, I uh, I uh, read that at the beginning and I knew there was a backstory for you. <laughs> Well, because so what happens is if people ding a book for having typos in Amazon, it can get deranged. Like it can make it um, disappear from sales pages. And this is a piece of New Zealand slang that to some American readers looks like an error. Gotcha. Um, And I guess I thought a lot in the rewrite process about how you stay authentic to the voice that you're trying to portray while like being comprehensible like and then while navigating like sales algorithms which were yeah. not built to accommodate a even a slightly non-standard variant of english um i mean i do find you know i'm i'm a kiwi and i grew up speaking new zealand english and so it's just very easy to understand for me i've come to understand over the past few years a lot of americans have trouble with it if you actually um go deep into the weeds and it was always I mean the thing I've noticed is when something is a little bit different that's a problem when something is really different it's fine um, there's a really really wonderful essay uh, called The Uncanny Valley of Culture by God, oh yeah I'm sorry no no you're uh, a uh, for, former tech writer you know okay <laughs> well they're not listing their surname on their, um, their medium, which is annoying. Um, a, a games radical Damon, who's an Aussie, um, writing about the uncanny valley of culture. We, uh, yeah, if it's a little bit different from what Americans are expecting, it it gets written as an error or totally dissonant or like bad writing. Um, yeah. And if like if I include Tadayo Maori, Americans are mostly fine with that. Um, Somebody did get mad at me for pretentiously using the word tanifa instead of using the word dragon. And um, I, I know you haven't finished, but that is sort of an explicit plot point that these are not the same thing. <laughs> um, that, that a tanifa is a, a guardian spirit, a protective spirit, and it is fierce, but it is only fierce insofar as it is, is willing to safeguard what what is Protection. Its. Like the extent um, of protection, yeah, something. Yeah, like yeah, and I mean, yeah. this book has a lot of people who are trying to navigate that space of how to look after people and not always succeeding at it. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, and so I mean that that to me was the big central conflict of the thing was like a dragon is generally something destructive, something hoarding, and a tanifa is kind of nurturing. Is um, and, and trying to get from one to the other was yeah. really what I was writing the book about. And then somebody was like, just use the word dragon. Don't be pretentious. I'm like, oh. Still uh-huh. trying to get it right. You're still, you know, you're still just, you know, the words are just so, so, so deeply important. You know, what I, yeah. what I wanted to ask you, Sasha, is uh, the background uh, within, within uh, tech that, that I, um, read about, and I see within your work um, 
of course, technology, but it's almost uh, like sentience and transmission of like consciousness and the idea around, um, uh, you know, fungal life, like different ways of transmitting. There's something like like earth tech and i'm sorry if i'm like clumsy with my no, words no. but like there's something like within how you create that world it's like so imbued with that but through the through the land or or something do am i getting at it yeah no no i i i think um and there is one of the big so the first version of it i wrote in 2013 and it was a pretty straightforward kind of police book. And then all of the mushroom stuff came later and all of the mushroom stuff came later when I was on this journey to um, reconnect with my, my book, Papa Maori, my, my Maori heritage. And the, like the connection of the people with the land is a really core part of that. Um, I went back to the place where my, my Marae, like the tribal kind of HQ is um, a couple of weeks ago actually, and just being on that earth felt really healing and made me feel really connected with the people around me and the people in my past. And that kind of crashed into the fact that, yeah, I'm really interested in hacking and my dad's an electrical engineer and I inadvertently created a magic system that works like circuitry, but with, with life energy. Um, that's pe uh, people who have been confused. Oh, you haven't got to the ending, but there is a moment where... The big moment, it just works exactly like circuitry. Like all of the fungal and all of the magic and all of the tech stuff combines to make a functioning circuit. Um, wow. And, and, and I guess it was hybridizing that. Like when I am struggling to write, I go and find a big tree and, and I just kind of vibe with it for a while. Um, I The big inspiration for the mushroom thing was um, I was living in... Indonesia, about um, an hour south of Surabaya, when Mount Khaled erupted. And I woke up, I remember the surreal day where I looked out the window and it was black and white. And I went, I'm dreaming, I'm going back to sleep. And then I got back up later and realized it was volcanic ash. And then I looked at my bedside table and a mushroom had just punched right up through the floorboards and through the bedside table, like um, overnight. Whoa. Yeah. Um, like it, it had clearly moved with considerable velocity for a plant. Yeah. Um, and and that was fascinating to me. And you know, I, I went and read a lot about mycology. Um, I've been reading recently a lot about traditional Maori uses um, for mushrooms. Um, there is one mushroom that, when dried, will burn. Well, sorry, will smolder uh, without burning for an extremely long time. And so if you need to move a campfire from place to place, like over like a day or two, you can smash that in and, and go for a walk. Um, I mean, mushrooms are endlessly fascinating. People are really, really surprised that I neither eat nor take mushrooms. Uh, and I think it is because I know too much about them to ever put them in my mouth. Ah, uh. Yeah, I um, I I'm in this position right now, Sasha, and, and being real here that as you're telling me about this, you know, I'm <laughs> running the interview ostensibly, but I'm dropping into your description in this like, just just I mean, I'm very connected. Um, ever since I was a little kid to um, 
of volcanoes, the event. Yep. Um, I'm from the East Coast of the United States, industrial city, old, old industrial city, kind of rundown mills and stuff like that. But I'm out in Oregon now on the, the other coast with um, mountains and um, uh, Crater Lake is the largest uh, uh, depth lake in out in this like North America. Um, and it's a caldera, you know, the top blew off. It was Mount Mazama and just filled up like 3000 feet of water. I like I became so fascinated by the color of the water when they used to process the um, photographs and send them to the Kodak printing company, they used to send them back and say, apologize for misprocessing the photos because the blue was so fantastic. They thought it was misprocessing, but it was just the characteristics of the caldera. Yeah, and they did this for years. Um, and, uh, so, and so anyways, I, uh, one other final thing, uh, Mount St. Helens blew up out in this part of the U S and in, in yeah. 1980, and I was a young kid. I yeah, was, I, I was in Vancouver in 97 and I remember people still talking about it. So. Still talking about, yeah. So it was, it was that, but I just had this strong. So when I've, uh, encountered those elements and just, you know, looking at your work and, uh, you talking about this. I never thought about the potential of like the outcropping of what could immediately happen with that immense energy. I know nothing. I'm completely ignorant on oh, that. So I'll just drop it. going to be yeah. fun and I'm not allowed to talk about it. <laughs> um, been reading up a lot on radiation. I think I'm allowed to say that. But um, yeah, the way energy and heat and waves interact is pretty central to that like that that immense power that is available under the earth um yeah the book is called the sun forge if, if that uh gives you an idea of, of how much we are going into heat yeah as as a big kind of central thing um uh yeah i i mean volcanoes I mean, because, you know, you're, you're in Oregon right now. I'm in New Zealand. We're both on the Ring of Fire, right? Like this entire land is shaped by that. And if you come to New Zealand, it's very um, tectonically and geologically new. Okay. Um, you, you go to places that raised up out of the earth or places that haven't tectonically moved in thousands of years. And there's kind of like rolling, they're rolling flat plains. And New Zealand is jaggy. New Zealand is all kind of little spiky, broken teeth. It's yeah. really hard not to live here and not understand the land in that kind of slightly eruptive way. Um, I mean, you, you can always spot when an American comes to New Zealand, you know they're from the, the West Coast. If when an earthquake happens, like how they respond to it, I've noticed because um, we, we, you get like a lot of American and, and British and like professors from overseas at uni. And whenever there would be an earthquake, if they're from like New York or London or something, they will freak out and they will stop rock and roll. And everyone who's from like Cali or whatever, or New Zealand will just kind of sit there and go, oh, that's a bit, oh, is that like a 4.1? <laughs> oh, that was a long one. Uh... <laughs> 
just riding it out until uh... I, I mean if it's actually big people will will do the stuff but i think you kind of um become accustomed to your your like twos through to your kind of fives just being a thing that happens sometimes and it's like oh yeah it's it's, it's an eventful part of the day that everyone's talking about around the water cooler, but well, um, yeah. And I, I, you're talking about that reaction. I just wanted to, before asking you another question, I want to mention one thing about, I moved to the, the Midwest and I had never seen tornadoes speaking of kind of cataclysm and energy. I had never ever seen them in my life. And it was the same type of thing where um, a tornado for me, when I first, saw them not very close but knew of the experience was crystallized instant death like to me it was so powerful if you and tornado next to each other no more you and just this power and it was the same type of thing where like being around midwesterners who'd be like they see the tornado for me which is like you know the gates of hell a mile and a half away and they're like yeah, it's not. It's not catching. It's not rotating like it needs to be. If it's, you know, like, yeah. I'm like, no, no. See, I've I have never seen a tornado, and I think if I went to the Midwest, I might have your reaction. I I probably would just, oh, don't like, <laughs> do not like that <laughs> at all. Uh, my only um, contact with tornadoes is the movie Twister, which is of course wonderful, um, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was just Classic. thinking of that. Hey, let's I gotta let's hit a couple of the let's hit a couple of the big questions uh right in the middle here. Um uh you know t- t- with uh with your your first, you know, f- full fully realized novel uh, published mm-hmm. and you've been writing in the past. Yep. Um talking about being an artist or being a novelist, um identity-wise, uh when did you when did you see yourself as an artist uh, creator, Sasha? I mean, I've always wanted to be a writer. I don't know if I always wanted to be an artist creator, but, um, you know, mum mom was a journalist and um, she was good school friends with the daughter of New Zealand author Joy Cowley. And I think one of my really formative moments was hanging out with Joy Cowley at her house and she gave me a little signed book and I was like six. Um and, and I knew that was what I wanted to do, and I kind of just fumbled at that for a very long time. And then at some point, people started calling me an artist and a creator. I started taking writing really seriously when I was 19. Um, I got a short story published by Commonplace Books, which um, they, do, they run Welcome to Night Vale, the podcast. Um, this was like a year or two before Night Vale. Um, and I went, oh, this is, this is really, really cool. And everybody's kind of talking about it. And so I started, I joined like a fiction group where we write every week. Uh, and so I've been trying to write, you know, a piece, piece of flash fiction a week for, God, since 2009, now 2010, when did Fallout New Vegas come out? I was the year Fallout New Vegas came out. That was when I started. Um, my 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 regularly. other son, who's nearby, I could run out and run back in and have the fall. I, I I'm yeah I'm I yeah. can't recall. Um, it would have been uh, 2009 2010 around then. Um, and you know, I was I look back at my old book and I cringe. I was very very bad at it for a long time. Um, 
and at some point like it doesn't it doesn't happen all at once right it's just people start calling you an artist and and you go oh shit that's 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 right um one one of the first like i guess if there was a big revelatory moment was um talking with tamsin who really liked the book and i really really like her writing and it was like I don't know if I'm good, but somebody who I think is better than me thinks I'm good. So, yep. No, I totally understand that. Yes, absolutely. Um, and the, yeah, that would have been late 2019. Um, and it, it's it's kind of just been slowly kind of building up since then. I, I think I have considered myself a writer since I was like 18 or 19. Um, I consider myself an artist as of sort of 2019-2020, I would say, if that makes sense. And I don't, I cannot articulate the difference. Yeah, and it's not, it's not, it's not necessary. I, I, well, thanks, thanks for talking about that. I find, um, you know, it is a question to ask, but I think the deeper kind of identity pieces, at least for me, about how you think about yourself and how you see yourself, whether it's painter, writer, artist, you know, by word, it's, um, it kind of changes, at least for me, it kind of changes how, uh, when I step out into the world, it's going to go a little bit different for me hmm. with, 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 with some of that vibe. I mean, a writer to me, cause I, I do journalism work and I do editorial work and, and stuff like that. And to me that, falls under writing as well. Writer is very broad, broad. Writer to me conjures a very specific image of precision. It's, it's quite a tidy word almost. Yeah. yeah. Um, an artist is, is sort of big and sprawling and colorful and writer is kind of boom, boom, boom. And I don't know why that is. Um, yeah, yeah. My, my first real encounter with art that really switched me on was um, like Rimbaud and Ted Berrien and John Ashbery, like these um, very like surreal poets who kind of existed in this. Um, I don't know if there's a single term for all of them. They're, you know, uh, Berrien's a bait and, and Rimbaud and Ashbery, I heard once called homosexual, which I really like that um, the way that queer writing often has to cipher itself because mm. queer desire is is um, marginalized and targeted. And so there is this art of, of saying without saying, right? Um, which right. often couches itself in this quite dense, metaphorical, like deeply layered, colorful language. Um, and, that, you know, that, that was the first art that really switched me on. And that was where I, the space I kind of emerged from, but I consider myself... I think more of a writer, more of a technician than uh, an artist. Um, I mean, I I do have synesthesia, which is much less exciting than uh, a lot of people think it's going to be. Um, <laughs> but what you know, the one of the ways I write is I, I paint with the colors in my head. Is is how I've articulated it. Like I um across those 10 years writing flash fiction, the one thing that I learned to do was take the, what is basically static, what is basically random neurological firings of color and sound 
and translate that into something comprehensible to other people. Um, so I, I think I write in a more painterly way. I write in this quite loose, creative way, but I, I don't know. I, I still very much consider myself a writer because to me, writing is the art of precision. And I came from this like flashback and poetry, which every single word counts and you can, yeah. you can micromanage and you can be incredibly surgical. And I try to do that at macro scale. Um, in, in my novels, it's not always possible. Um, sometimes a book just needs connective tissue. Sometimes a book just needs you to move from A to B. But like it, that, that precision, I think, is one of the things that I really, really value, and that is a writerly precision. Um, so, you know, I, I, I guess I, I, I try to be an artist in the way that I weave color and I try to be a writer in the way that I pin it down. Does that make sense? It, it does. And I think uh, here's my go at it because I, I was I was in thinking visually and thinking about the words. I would say this. I totally hook on to what you're saying as the writer's a word of a more uh, techne, um, a more craft, a more uh, like that ability. But here's the thing. When you were mentioning when you mentioned the color in in the painting, I can't correlate that at this moment talking to you about with what I've read in your words. Yeah. But what I can tell you is I see all the color right here in my head of what was constructed. I don't have the connection back between them, but when you were talking about the painting and that I was like, of course, that's what you were doing. Even though I didn't know that yeah. you were, I can see it and I can see the color. Yeah, no, it, it is that trying to cage fire, you know, <laughs> like trying to take something that is incredibly <laughs> abstract and make it incredibly concrete and, and, you know, you're packing a lot of vibrancy and strangeness into words, which are ultimately just, you know, pencil scratches and mouth sounds. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, I mean, cause my, my degree is in linguistics and, you know, I was always kind of fascinated by the idea of signed and signified. Do we, do we, Oh yeah. Should we go over that for the, the listeners? Sure. Or sure. We, I'd, I'd love um, you to, it'd be, it'd be, Quite helpful. So um, the way I've always done this is uh, I'm going to say a word and I want you to close your eyes and I want you to picture it. And listeners do this as well. The word is cat. Now, did you picture a tiger? No. Nope. A tiger is a cat, but everybody is kind of picturing the same thing. This like... Uh, idea of catness and so the sign is like the the sound catch the, the phoneme's cat the way your tongue and your lips and your teeth move and the signified is the physical thing and then what that physical thing is is going to kind of vary wildly from person to person but not vary that much even when it could when when i say imagine cat nobody imagines a lion Unless they're trying to be smug and difficult right now listening <laughs> to the episode. You or I um, might you or I might do that, but you know, there's a smaller percentage. <laughs> but but like basically everybody you know, the colors might be different, but everybody kind of pictures a house cat of approximately the same size that kind of makes a noise a little bit like meow and it it's got most <laughs> of its fur and it probably has two eyes and four legs and a tail. Um <laughs> 
and it's kind of incredible that cat the sound can encapsulate the breadth of that and everybody just gets it yeah right yeah um i say cat you imagine the animal and to me art if we're going to talk about the philosophy of art like what it is and the nitty-gritty is that the story does not come from me or you the story is this like alchemy that happens between us it um that, that it is your experiences and your interpretation meeting my articulation. Um, and there is only a certain number of ways that it can be interpreted because words mean things. Mm-hmm. But also words are kind of fragile and, and easy to break. <laughs> um, uh one of my watchword, one of my, you know, the aphorisms I, I come back to a lot in my art is that um, X, whatever language, form, genre, should be a playground and not a prison. Um, and I, I try to fuck around with that relationship between reader yeah. and writer, between between what words I'm writing and what's in their head to create hooks, to create kind of little jaggy interesting moments that stay with you um because i i want to tell you a story and 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 the story doesn't happen in my head or in your head it happens in the empty air between us no sorry i feel like i'm rambling here no no sasha i'm you are this 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 show is sort of space of where you are right here in it. Um, no, I mean it's the it's it's just the vital question w- without me asking is what is what is art and there's this interrelationship between you and I, me reading, you writing, and in that space there is because I can easily point to the painting back behind me and say what is art and I can describe in much more empirical ways of execution here that this is the thing. But the writing, the the words are the little pieces that are etched on a paper and the hallucinations that happen in my head. You don't know what those hallucinations are. And uh, in that space right there is the philosophy. So to answer your question, you're right in the area that we go towards. There are – so um, Maori – is an oral tradition and there is a pretty deep storytelling tradition that gets a little bit weirder and more complicated when it when it comes to the page um but there are these ideas of ihi and wehi um that, that there is the light the thing that you are trying to project and then there is the desired emotion um and and you are forging a connection between these two things it's almost like a quasi-spiritual link between two people that I am showing you my light and then you're you you are responding to it spiritually and, and physically and emotionally um, and, and it is a package deal um, and I think it that does work better when somebody's looking you in the eyes but I think great novelists and particularly you know great Maori novelists like with the Imaida really really master that across the page across distance um like that 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 forging of two people 
well, <laughs> into something so strange and, and unnameable and intangible that then goes away, but if you've done it right, changes you both. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to jump back, too. Um, that volcano, you said that uh, when that ex you, you woke up and you looked out and you thought you were still sleeping and you went back to sleep. When you look back out and you realize that that was the reality that was in front of you, what did you see? What what was there? I, I, I heard you tell a little bit about this. I mean, what, what did you see then? Because it sounds spectacular compared to other experiences. So, I mean, the way I was talking about Kiwis and earthquakes, Indonesians are with volcanoes. Um, and so by the time I went outside, there were just um, people in really wide brim hats with brooms <laughs> just sweeping the streets. Um, everybody, you know, people going to work, everybody was just being very, very casual about the fact that because um, we weren't in the evacuation zone. Um, for, for Kaladozen, uh, but it was, it was just a great big dumping of ash that covered everything. It was like a half inch. Um, and by the time I went out, it had, you know, some of it had been swept away and it had started to kind of fall off things. And so you would get these little snatches of color. You would get like the leaves of a plant with like a little bit of a green green tip because the ash on the tip had fallen down because it was slightly angled. Um, you know, you would get the bricks on the road being the color of bricks, but then the gaps between them were the color of the ash because that's harder to sweep. Um, yeah, I remember it was still falling and all of the locals were super casual about it. And I just went, okay. <laughs> All right. We're we're fine. Um but it it I mean it, it was a surreal surreal moment just waking up and looking at that and for a moment feeling like you were not awake. Um the the and you know obviously it stuck with me and obviously it features pretty heavily in book 2 ash and fire and there is no line between us and art, right? Like it, it feels like an anodyne observation as an artist that, that living is art, um, that, that we exist in a world where like, like we, we are affected by the world and then we, we process that world. Um, one of my formative experiences as a poet was my poetry tutor. who goes, what is poetry? And everybody goes, yeah, yeah. And he points outside yeah. at a tree and goes, is that a poem? And we all went, yeah, yeah. And he went, no, it's a tree. And I went, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but like, you know, like trees in, inspire art. And it's it, that place and it's particularly these very stark, strange moments that that I feel particularly like you know I write science fiction and fantasy which um, is very stylized and kind of goes for these like very big swings in setting. Um, yeah. It is it is moments like that where the world just very briefly gets turned upside down that influence it the most. Yeah. 
I love that. I love that. I um, I wanted to one one more thing on the volcano. I remember watching this strange Werner Herzog documentary. Don't remember the name of it, but it was um, he brought some of his crew that I don't know whether they willingly went along was going towards the volcano as the island was evacuated and inhabited it for a while. And it didn't blow, but he was wanted to document the dogs taken over and the, the, the island being taken over by other beings and it didn't blow. So he put it out. (laughs) Just an incredible idea. Um, that one's tough to find. Hey, uh, Sasha, uh, we get a, we get a, we get a crack at another one, the big one. Why not? Uh, why is there something rather than nothing? God, I was looking at, you know, you sent me this. I can never ask it at a good time. Yeah. I was looking at it going, um, a lot of theories, leading ones, the big bang, (laughs) like, like, you know, how, how do you cover that? But, um, there is something rather than nothing because we need there to be like you you can get into the kind of cold physics of it a little bit if you want um but something and nothing are both very expansive terms and i guess when we're talking about art something to me means art and and nothing to me means a lack of art um, and often there is nothing, um, you know, AI art has been kind of pretty big in the discussion right now and everything we've talked about. I mean, yeah. the reason that AI art feels wrong to me is because it lacks all of that. Um, but because like there's, there's no person, there is no experience. There is no like qualia going on. You know, um, I also for book two, I've been reading a lot about AI, which I started reading up on in 2017, 2018, and has now become a really hot topic. Um, yeah. I yeah. keep accidentally doing this. You do this when you write sci-fi that you, um, <laughs> if you, <laughs> if you predict enough things, some of them come true <laughs> or some of them become relevant by the time the book comes out. Cause books yeah. take a long time to write. Um, but do you know this, this idea of a Chinese room? No. Um, So I want you to imagine there is a room, and in this room there are perfect instructions for a human being to translate English into Chinese without speaking... Sorry, Chinese into English without speaking Chinese. Okay. And somebody slides a Chinese character under the door, and the person follows... A Mandarin character under the door, the person follows the instructions perfectly and then slides the translation out back under the door is this person translating (laughs) does this person understand um peter watt's blindsight is this fantastic science fiction novel which is basically about um a chinese room writ large Uh, like here is this giant superstructure in space that perfectly replicates understanding but does not understand um, and what that actually kind of philosophically means. And to me, t- to bring it back, that is not that is the nothing. The, yeah. um, the lack of understanding, the lack of connection, the lack of meaning, 
and something is there because we need it to be there. Um, because we need people in our lives, because we need those moments of, of connection between two spirits. Um, you know, um, this, I can't remember who the fuck said it, but like, it's really that this idea that, um, art is the places where the chisel slipped, like art is the, the beautifully superfluous, like it, it is all of the things that a person does differently, not necessarily wrong, but just the, the things that differently. lead them to, yeah. to be there are what makes it art and what helps forge that connection between two different people. And it does not always exist. And more and more, you know, we're, we're, we're seeing kind of stuff like chat GPT taking off that just doesn't have it and, and feels to me on some level almost profane, you know, um, it, it, it feels like a Chinese room. It, um, feels like, you know, a philosophical zombie. It like, I, it's, it's, it can never be art to me because it is impossible for it to make that, that connection. Um, but both, I guess that's a very convoluted answer, but both something and nothing plentifully exist and nothing right now is winning. And that's why I think it is more important than ever to make something. Thank you. Thank you uh, so much. I uh, I recently talked a little bit more in. Um, it's tough to pin down, but you know the terms are are enormous, and uh, I've been talking a little bit more about nothing within the the Buddhist context, which has a different meaning of the uh, like the absence of inherent existence, the lack of something behind the thing, and. Um, just seeing the uses in using the terms, even using nothing as a, what they would say, a soteriological purpose towards salvation, towards mental clarity, towards mm. like movement away from suffering. And um, I really like talking about in that type of like what is useful um, and, and what's helpful in the something, as you pointed out, like in the emphasis on that. Mm. Um I really appreciate your comments. Yeah, I mean, I because I lived in Malaysia and Indonesia for a while, and in Malaysia in particular, there are a lot of Buddhists, and I think I was quite influenced by that, and I had a lot of Buddhist. You know how like uh, Catholics who have converted in their adult life tend to be a little bit nuts, and lifelong Catholics are incredibly chill often. Um, I'm in the first. Like, I'm in the first category. Just so you know, we're chatting here for the first time on a podcast. Category uh, A. Sorry, it's all good. I grew up in Rhode Island, where ninety percent of the people there are Roman Catholic. I met a Protestant when I was nineteen. I thought they they said communist. I didn't know. <laughs> I come from a very deep background that way, so. <laughs> But but I guess I, I encountered a lot of, you know, people who were raised Buddhist and that was very different from Buddhism as I had come to understand it. Um, and, you know, a, a lot of that stuff has brought me a lot of peace. Um, the, the idea that suffering comes from... Does, I don't know if this is even a Buddhist principle, but a Buddhist friend said it to me in a way that sounded, you know, he seemed to be invoking something. He said... 
suffering comes from trying to control the uncontrollable. Um, and, and it's really important to acknowledge that some of the somethings going on you have no power over and that's going to hurt you if you if you try to take power over them and you just need to let it go um, which is also part of the book is like letting go of the things that you can't control and and i think there is a value in that calm um i think that is another form of nothing that it that i certainly value i also think i'm just too messy to ever live entirely without attachment yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. There's uh, like a honest, like an honest, uh, honest admission to that. One of the biggest breakthroughs in, for me in just um, within Buddhism, in in really in terms of psychology, because if you look within the tradition of Buddhism, there's it's a deep psychology. But I think the main point is this: is like there's a recognition of. Um, of the suffering of the attachment that's going to be every mm. human essentially like that's going to be but what they do is kind of in looking at and analyzing it's like okay you're suffering because you're a suffering being and then you're suffering more because you realize you're a suffering being who's suffering it's these layers that we placed on top of it and this it's no uh it's no like great great promise like right off the bat of salvation but it's just saying let's get to the the fundamental lack of control the fundamental mm. presence of suffering and not compound it kind yeah. of <laughs> yeah which which has given me a lot of peace i don't consider myself a buddhist but um you know they're 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 chill as far as i'm concerned <laughs> um you know um i i think that is I think that is correct. I think I just really struggle to to move towards it. Although I suppose we all do, right? Yeah. That that um, if it were easy to attain nirvana, everyone would be doing it. Um, you know, I'm, but I'm I'm pretty deep in the suffering. <laughs> that sounds miserable. In, no, in, in, in in Buddhist terms, you know, I'm I'm. Uh, pretty i think i'm 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 never i'm never ascending you know i'm i'm too much of the world well it you know it's it's a it's it's a reality and i would say you know even for myself i've felt and suffered more lately just the way things feel maybe some health of folks around me things feel feel that way you know like heavier so i i totally um connect on that and like i said it's the aspirational piece of um discarding some of the unnecessary things which is very difficult yep. you know you would have a busy mind i have a busy mind so that's where the compounding and the psychology comes through but there's some there's some truth or some path i think um you know uh, towards the piece so man wow Something rather than nothing. Why is there? We got, we got the we got we got, we got in the weeds. We got ev we got everything going on in this. Um, uh, before I forget, um, Sasha, uh, uh, tell folks where to find. Uh, I know you've done you've done different things. You've done uh, blogs. You've done your your books are coming out. The Dawn Hounds. Like, 
where do people connect with with that to get to to get your stuff? Um, I mean, you can buy the books at Barnes and Noble or at Amazon. Um, I am an inveterate Twitter user. I keep trying to leave, and it keeps sucking me back in. <laughs> Keeps pulling uh, you back in. Keeps pulling you back in. That is um, at understatesman on Twitter. Um, you, that that's a little joke of mine because I had a really crappy menial job in politics, and so I was under statesman. <laughs> um, I appreciate also, that. Um, I'm just pausing right there. I appreciate that. I've worked in politics. Thank you for doing that. <laughs> um, and also, you know, there, there is the, the famous Kiwi understatement. Um, that, that's the pun. That's the terrible joke. And my website is also just theunderstatesman.com. Um, my website is where I post the stuff that can't get published anywhere else, uh, including blog posts. Um, I write under the name Alex uh, Stronach for the spinoff sometimes, which is a New Zealand uh, outlet, which you can find online. Um, I think that's most of it. If you want a lot of my more esoteric stuff that I couldn't sell and also a bunch of trunk stories, uh, go to theunderstatesman.com. If you want to see me shitposting relentlessly, go to at understatesman on Twitter. Um, and of course, please buy the book, which is available wherever good books are sold. Um, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Uh, and 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 on the on the on the book, folks. Yeah. Um, uh, definitely, definitely. Uh, if you can get it from uh, buy it, if if you you get it from your library, ask uh, for it from your library. I'm actually. Um, the uh, audio version available through Audible on both. Yes. Actually, so I'm, good. I'm actually it's strange. Is, yeah, it's such a wonderful. I, I I mean, I just adore the reading and how that was done. But I'm also reading it and listening to it at the same time. So I was going to try to communicate to you where I was in the book, and I don't think I could do it clearly. So I'm amidst the book. So yeah. Um, but, uh, lovely, lovely recording, huh? The audio. Yeah, I, I, I love the VA. I just heard one sample. I was like, yeah, it's, it's gotta be Anna. It's like, um, I think it was really important to me that we got a Kiwi VA, um, because I've heard New Zealand books. I've noticed voice actors who aren't from a place hit slang really hard and it sounds unnatural. Where yeah. it's like if you know the cat, the moggy skittered past, um, the moggy skittered past. Like they they do this little weird emphasis on all of the slang words, um, and I think getting a kiwi and a kiwi who speaks Tarawa Maori particularly was really important to make that feel naturalistic. And also, she's just a fucking good VA. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, straight, straight up. That's the way. Good thing. Call out. Just like it's, 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 yeah. it's, it's great performance. Amen. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Um, wow. That's all the play. You know what? You even told the folks the you know all the different spots. Uh, oh, I will say. Sorry. Very briefly, yeah. the publisher did make a big push for indies. So if you don't want to go to the Zone or Barnes and Noble, um, it should be pretty easy to get at your local indie. Um, that that was one of the kind of big channels I think they were pushing. 
yeah um, because yeah, it's the absolutely. kind of book that gets hand sold it's it's the kind of book that um is very idiosyncratic and if you love it you absolutely love it i got a i got a good book story i got a bookstore um that is uh really doing a lot of nice things has a lot of incredible book uh books browsers bookstore it's a mere two blocks from uh where i live and um uh, the owners loves tapping into all the guests um, that I have on the show. So the book will be available through browsers and uh, if you're in Oregon or just uh, online. But um, I really appreciate that. And, and it is widely available. And um, one of the things I would say, too, in order to, to, to push on it for you a little bit more, Sasha, is like when a series begins or when an author is beginning for me, it's so much easier for me to get like right in at the beginning than to like, Oh, with all due respect, like it's like me uh, with the podcast, I have 180 episodes and I'm like, Hey, dedicated listener, you can listen for six straight days and then it will loop back again. And that's not so appealing to the common consumer as good as some of it might be. Yeah. And I will say also, this planned trilogy ends. It ends quite decisively. <laughs> I am writing three books and no more. Because, um, you know, one of the big thematic things is about letting go and endings and understanding like a death and oblivion. And uh, yeah, no, this is this is going to a nice place, but a, but a place that is pretty definitively over. Um. And I'm already writing a separate, but like I'm, I'm writing something totally different on the side. I have all of these other plans for future books that are just in completely different settings. Um, I don't, yeah, I want people to be able to just pick up anywhere. Like right now you can, the Dawnhounds is just starting out. You can just pick it up. It is a book that I intentionally wrote as a quote unquote standalone with series potential. That's one of the big ways you sell trilogies these days, but it is, uh, it's going places, but it is itself a sort of closed circuit, part of a much more complex machine. But um, if you just want to read one book and smash it out and then never think about it again, you can also do that and get your catharsis um, in and out. Easy, baby. Yeah. Well, once you go in, you'll be affected. So I, I do understand, even if you just didn't want to do do the one. Um, I got to I got to tell you, uh, Sasha, it's been uh, a, really a great pleasure to talk with you. And, and honestly, to go um, to have a conversation like this, uh, you know, and, and um, just really appreciate uh, my ability as somebody over here, as I'm experiencing this, this, this this great work of art to, to connect with you on some things that like, I don't know, the volcanoes and stuff that I feel like in a very visceral way. So I just, I just want to tell you, I really appreciate the opportunity to, to chat with you. Um, don't know. It's, it's been really, really great to come on. Um, please, please go buy my a cab anarchist detective novel. <laughs> which is also about mushrooms, dear listeners. Um, but uh, yeah, no, uh, it's, it's been lovely to come on. Did you have anything else? Did you want me to read anything or? Yeah. Um, what I, um, I wanted to tell you what I, what I um, had, had landed on though was um, 
and I'll tell you why, and I'll just give you the backdrop. So it was at the beginning of chapter three. Yeah, yeah. So I had to fight very hard for these parts. Oh, wonderful. Um, um, it was this to... part. No, it was this part too. There was about uh, time and space and the joke about the fish. And um, I had a lot of stuff popping in my head about um, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and fish and like I was just in time and space in this podcast. So that's what I was vibing on. All right. Um, do you want me to just do this now? Yeah, absolutely. Mate, mate, mate. Thank God. I've been trying to get a clear line. You thought ages, matey potato. You've got no idea. Anyway, anyway, um, you know me. You're, you don't. It's hard to follow the river these days. They run back and forth and back and forth. And here's an old joke. Fisherman sits in a boat, hooks a fish. As he reels it up and up and his friends sit in the boat with him and laugh. Water's fine today, he says. The fish hears this as it's hauled from the water and dumped inside the boat. The air here is wrong and it chokes, its tiny lungs filling with fluid. As it drowns in the dry, it hears strange booming sounds and it thinks, what's water? Here's another joke. A fish goes down too deep and suddenly the whole world is dark and crushing. The fish here are barely even fish. It's eaten by something with too many teeth. Point is, there's a very narrow band of existence fish can survive in. Words like time and space mean very little until you come to a place where they don't matter anymore. What's water, eh? <laughs> Which is to say, it's all sort of, you know, a bit fucked down here. They call this place a lot of things, and none of them fit. It's hard to find words for the wordless. Light doesn't exist here. Neither does time. It's endlessly empty, except it ain't. The things that live here don't fit descriptions of anything you've ever seen or could hope to understand. They don't verb the way we verb. On the other side, we call them gods. Down here, they just are. It's hard to describe them when words made for tongues and teeth for a different are and is... But we gotta try. What I see, it matters. Matter will matter. Down in the darkness, something moves. It casts its shadow on the surface. A colossal eye snaps open, synapses fire, and a sleeping titan wakes. It sees on the other side where things are small. A shifting of gears, a music so quiet it fights to be unheard. It looks from world to world and sees tall buildings of steel and glass, empty and burned. It casts its eyes from one to the next and sees choking clouds of toxic ash, then emptiness. It sees world after world abandoned, until at last it comes to a place with life. It stands and the world around it dances away, flees from its bulk in great swaths of colour and fire. It hears the rumble before an avalanche, a hiss of carbon monoxide in a block tailpipe. A single spark moving with purpose, the overture to Inferno. Have you heard these words? I'm really sorry, mate, but you will. It sees a moment in the darkness so cataclysmic it would rend is from is. It sees a wave, an eruption that will echo back through the ages and into the dreams of mortals night after night, year after year, until they awake screaming about a war in heaven. There is silence, then a shadow, then from everywhere, at all, everywhere and nowhere at all, a new music rises from the deep. No, not music. The very opposite of music. A darkness come to swallow the world. An unsound spooling across heaven until nothing else remains, remained, will remain. What's water? Mate, that's a good one.
That's a good one. That's a good one. <sighs> Sasha, was thank a... you so much. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's been lovely. I uh, I hope that cuts into a good episode. It uh, it most certainly will, and um, I think I'll have it out uh, in a couple weeks, just so you know. The new episodes get about a thousand downloads within the first two or three days, so okay. it'll, it'll have some it'll have some punch to it, probably Good. all around. Yeah, yeah, by you and over by here, so I'll keep you posted. It's been a pleasure to meet you, and I'll be in touch. All right. Um, all right. You too. All right. Take care. This is something rather than nothing.